You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg. Grab a stool and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told and you are among friends. Leon Bibby, the author of Adam Decoded Volume 2 and Adam Equals Alien is standing by. He'll be with us for the full two hours, and we'll take your calls in hour two of the program. So don't call in just yet. Wait until the uh, minute hand sweeps the next hour, and then we'll open up the phone lines and take questions and comments. Uh, This transmission is coming to you by way of my little studio beneath the stairs up in Thornhill, north of Toronto. Uh, Ian Robertson is behind the big audio board in Liberty Village. Ryan is producing the live stream from his lair in deepest, darkest East York. And Albert, uh, Albert, I believe, is on a remote viewing experiment in Transylvania, which is my way of saying I have no idea where the mysterious, enigmatic, idiosyncratic uh, Albert is. But uh, he's always missed. My story producer, Albert, does a heck of a job. Hey, take a moment and check out the new website. We've given it a fresh coat of paint, strangeplanet.ca, and I think we've made it much easier to navigate. It's more mobile friendly, and at the bottom of the page, you'll see several big buttons. At the bottom of the home page, several big buttons. Two are for my podcasts, Conspiracy Unlimited and the Rock and Roll Twilight Zone. One is for the YouTube channel where you can watch this radio program. That's right, you can watch the radio. And one is for live events and appearances. And finally, one is for The Conspiracy Show. Again, the radio program you're listening to right now. Uh, Programming note, next week on The Conspiracy Show, we'll take a look at the death of JFK Jr. John Kerner will be here. He believes it was no plane accident, and he will, uh, as I say, be here for the full two hours to present his case. That's next week on The Conspiracy Show. Uh, My guest for the next two hours is passionate about the study of human evolution and extraterrestrial intervention in the human experience. He's been influenced by such researchers as Eric Von Daniken and Zechariah Sitchin. He's here to present evidence that we are the product of ET genetic manipulation. He's concluded that extraterrestrial beings known as the Anunnaki visited Earth starting around 450,000 years ago and genetically altered early humans. He considers the Anunnaki to be gods rather than God and suggested they 
correlate with the fallen angels or Nephilim described in the Bible. The Anunnaki made several different versions of Adam and Eve. They tweaked and tweaked until they got it right, he says, adding that DNA manipulation involved the fusing of the 45th and 46th chromosomes. He says there's physical evidence on our planet that we've been visited and interacted with, such as gold mines in South Africa dating back 250,000 years, monoliths and megaliths such as Stonehenge, technology like uh, the Antikythera mechanism and the Baghdad battery and the Nazca lines, which can only be seen from an aerial view. Leon Bibby is the author of Adam Equals Alien, Volume 1. He's an historian and a researcher of archaeology, human and ancient history, biology, Egyptology, and religious philosophy. He's an adjunct professor of alternative science featured and a featured guest on Coast to Coast AM, and he will be featured in an upcoming episode of the History Channel's Ancient Alien series. His latest book is Adam Decoded, Volume 2. Leon, climb aboard and welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Uh, well, thanks, uh, Richard. Thank you very much for having me. Now, has the episode on ancient aliens in which you are, are participating, has that, has that aired yet? No, that's, that's airing September 2019. September 2019. All right. Now, what a popular program. What is it now? 13, 14 seasons, I think? It's right around there. Yeah, it's, it's gaining traction every year. Uh, the, the viewership's in the millions. It's incredibly popular. Right. Um, we've talked quite a bit about uh, Zachariah Sitchin. I had him on the program many, many years ago. Um, and uh, just recently, we also talked about the, the Anunnaki. I wanted to get your perspective on on uh, the planet Nibiru. Now, you, you lay out some evidence that the existence of Nibiru has been established. It's a brown dwarf. Just just talk to me a little bit about the the evidence that this this planet actually exists. Right. So both the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times refer to Nibiru as Planet X. And uh, the planet has been captured by the Hubble telescope, um, as well as actually been seen in the north um, from Norway uh, at certain times of the year. Um, It's definitely within our solar system, within the Milky Way. It lies four times the distance from outside of Pluto, as Pluto is to the sun. Uh, It's a a very large planet, 44,000 miles long. Um, It comes into an elliptical orbit every 3,600 years between Mars and Jupiter. Um, And it has a lot to do with um, with Earth's original unicellular organism growth. Meaning, when it originally, supposedly, according to Sitchin, knocked into Earth Tiamat. Um, it sort of fused, um, and cells were exchanged, and uh, the Earth then became unicellular 500, 500 million years after that. So simply because of its close proximity when it swings by on this elliptical orbit, that in itself uh, aided in sort of the, let's call it the evolutionary process. Is, is that yeah. is that the gist of it? Yeah, definitely. I, th- I think, you know, it goes further than panspermia, um, which was Crick's theory. Um, right. it, it, it's more it's more of a, a direct intervention, I guess you'd say, a direct exchange 
um, of DNA. And, and uh, you know, the DNA piece is, is really the key um, to solving the mystery of the missing link. Now, you, see, you point out something very interesting in uh, Adam Decoded about Nibiru, and that is that the symbol for that planet is a cross. How do we know that? Yeah, so it's very interesting. I always, you know, thought about the, the cross in, in Christianity and um, its depiction everywhere on Earth. And um, it was depicted in the Sumerian tablets as the planet of the crossing. That's, that's what it was called. Um, and the reason it's called that is because it came into our orbit between Mars and Jupiter every 3,600 years. And 3,600 is the sexadecimal system, which was, um, which was key in the Sumerian um, arithmetic and geometry and the way that they put together their mathematics. Um, and so it basically crossed into our orbit and um, basically causes a lot of flux and a lot of gravitational pull and problems uh, among the planets, especially Earth. I think it had a lot to do with the flood, uh, uh, supposedly 12,000 years ago. Um, and the, it's, that's why it's called Planet of the Crossing. And the, the orbit... Um Every time it swings by, what, what is the um, the approximate um, the timing in terms of its encounter with our planet? Every so, is it thirty six thousand years? Every thirty six hundred. Thirty six hundred. My apologies. Every thirty six hundred. If you were to if you were to put a timeline together of major cataclysmic events on the Earth, you mentioned the, the flood. Um, we could talk about ice ages and so forth. Uh, we could talk about major tectonic activity, major volcanic activity. Would it line up with the orbit of uh, Nibiru and its encounter with Earth? I, I think so. I think it has a lot to do with it. I think starting from single cell in my timeline and uh, Adam, Adam equals alien, uh, I, I list a timeline from pages one through six. Um, it first, it first starts out at 3.9 billion years ago, single cell bacterial development. And then uh, there is multicellular bacterial development, 400 million BC. Um, ice ages do coincide with its elliptical orbit between Mars and Jupiter. So we do see, and I'll list the ice ages um, that are listed in the, in the timeline. There's initially uh, a planetary pole shift. 50,000 B.C., which is 1,000 years, supposedly 1,000 years after Nibiru came, came into our orbit. The second uh, was the Cataclysm Flood, 11,500, which coincides to within 500 years of the next shift. Um, and then the last was, well, um, the last could, could be, um, could have been, 6,000 BC. So it does, it does, it does wrap around that same, you know, timeline. Right, right. And when is it, when is it expected to swing by again, roughly? <laughs> so hopefully never. But um, I, I listed in my in, in my book that I think it's going to swing at 3100 AD. Not till 3100. All right. Right. Uh, so. The, these claims that it's 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 coming by and it be it can be spotted by and it has been spotted by various um, amateur 
uh, astronomers and so forth. And there was even a conspiracy theory that some of them have been uh, knocked off to prevent this information from from leaking out. I mean, is it visible from any – could it be visible at this point from any telescope? I think so. Um, I, I, I've seen pictures of it from Earth. So I, I believe that, you know, Hubble, sure. Um, and I believe certainly a telescope in, in New Mexico – um, the Vatican Telescope, you know, some of those larger scale telescopes, I'm sure, have pictures of it already. Um, the fact that the, the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal have both um, printed the fact that it's called, calling it Planet X, saying that it, it contains carbon, uh, nitrogen, uh, and oxygen, um, and the fact that it's a, a similar body to Earth uh, definitely, to me, uh, foretells that. The, the people in the know know. <laughs> and uh, I, I think if they do know about the Sumerian tablets and, and what the Sumerian tablets have said, that um, they, they certainly can tell that this is the same planet that's discussed in them. All right, Leon, we're going to take a time out. Stay put. We'll come back. Adam, or the Adam, Adam Decoded, Volume 2, and uh, Alien, or sorry, Adam Decoded. Volume 2, and Alien Equals Adam, or Adam Equals Alien, sorry, is the uh, the first book. We'll come back. Leon Bibby, my guest, for the full two hours. Stay with us on The Conspiracy Show. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Leon Bibby is my guest. His latest is Adam Decoded, Volume 2. And uh, we are talking about the, well, the Sumerian creation myth, the planet Nibiru, the Anunnaki, the ancient alien theory. And uh, just a reminder that uh, Leon will be featured in an upcoming episode of Ancient Alien. That will air September 2019. Uh, I just want to touch on the Sumerian uh, tablets for a moment. These, these are, what, roughly 7,000 years old, correct? Yes, that's correct. Now... I'd like to, to clarify what the tablets actually say about the Anunnaki. Does it actually describe the Anunnaki? Does it describe them as being extraterrestrial? What does it tell us about them? So, um, the tablets were found in Iraq uh, between 1894 and 1900. Um, 30,000 of them. And about Seven or eight thousand have been have been deciphered, have been um, translated to English and several other languages. And they've had linguists uh, from University of Pennsylvania, Samuel Noah Kramer is one of them um, that has translated them. Zachary Sitchin, um, one of you know one of the one of the greatest authors in this space, um, has certainly translated. And yes, they do directly discuss the Anakim, uh, the Anunnaki. Anakim is also mentioned in the Bible, in the Old Testament, um, several times, um, actually about 700 times. Um, so yes, they, 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 they mention them directly. Um, they mention that they are humanoid, that they are approximately nine feet tall, uh, bearded, uh, pale skin, blue eyes, blonde hair, 
typically either blonde or red hair. Um, very muscular, um, speaking a, a dialect similar to Hebrew, and um, very power hungry. Um, very similar to humans today. Um, there are there are sects section sects that are power hungry and uh, warlike, and then there are sects that are um, caring and loving and um, want to educate the, their offspring, basically the, the humans. Um, and so, yes, they're, they're directly discussed in the tablets. Um, and Enki and Lil are two of the main characters um, in, in in the Sumerian tablets. Enki being sort of the um, the pro Homo sapien, pro human. Uh, god with a small G god, and Enlil being the the, the, the tough. Uh, I, I believe him to be the the god of the Israelites, um, jealous god, uh, creating war, and possibly even uh, setting off nukes in in, uh, in Sodom and Gomorrah. So yes, directly discussed several times their life, their history, where they come from, why they came to Earth, which I, I find is fascinating. Um, sort right. of on the same path as, as Earth, and and yes, so so many many times discussed. And uh, the the purpose of them being here has to do with a, a gold mining operation, which yep. which connects to their 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 atmosphere, which requires gold part gold particulates. Correct. That's right. Exactly right. This they I believe that they uh, nuked their atmosphere um, to the point of losing their ozone. And even though they're so far away from our sun, uh, from Pluto, uh, they still have another sun, so they're a binary s- sun system. Um, they have heat within their core, which keeps the planet warm, uh, but they still nuked their atmosphere, their ozone layer depleted. They needed some sort of metal um, to blow up into the atmosphere that was light enough to uh, push back heat uh, because they were getting irradiated, they were dying. Uh, from radiation, so they needed some metal uh, that they could uh, use to blow up and push back to hold back the heat. And metal, uh, gold is perfect because it's uh, it's thin, it's malleable, um, it sustains heat. You know, we see them on all of our telescopes and our satellites um, and our um, you know and our rockets. Um, we use gold on the outside to keep it as a heat shield. Um, so it's, it's the perfect metal, and they didn't have that on Nibiru. Uh, they, they found it. It's funny. They, the Sumerian tablets mentioned that it was very prevalent um, in what they call the hammered bracelet, which is our asteroid belt. And they actually tried. It's amazing, Richard. They, there's, a, there's one tablet, uh, which I couldn't find a good picture of for my book, but one tablet actually shows the picture of a V-shaped rocket um, navigating through uh, past Pluto, uh, and through the hammered bracelet and trying to get through the hammered bracelet um, towards Earth. There were dots towards Earth. And um, they had a lot of trouble getting through the asteroid belt. Many of their ships were destroyed. So that, that initial mission uh, failed because they, they wanted to land a ship on one of the, on one of the asteroid belts and, uh, and mine gold, but they couldn't do it. So they ended up then going to Mars, um, creating a way station there, and then from Mars uh, to Earth. And it was very, very, they found it to be very prevalent um, in Africa initially. How did they know they would find gold here? 
Yeah, that's a good, very good question. I think that they initially sent out missions. Uh, from what I've read, they've sent out, they sent out missions of uh, uh, one of the Anunnaki named Alalu was, uh, I guess, one of their first um, missionaries, and he he literally would fly around in space to, to to find where gold was. As far as how he knew how it was on Earth, I don't know. I guess he had some detector that was able to, to pick it up, but I'm not sure. And and so the, the actual gold mining operation involved enslaving uh, primitive hominids. Uh, is that the idea? Yeah, basically, uh, they initially had about 300 Anunnaki, um, 200 of which were called Ejiji in the Sumerian tablets. And the Ejiji were sort of the, you know, the blue-collar workers, the, the, the mine workers that they brought along with them. Um, and the Ejiji were mining in, in, uh, in South Africa um, uh, and digging, digging the ditches. And they, they couldn't just use lasers to get through the ground and then get the gold out. They had to do it sort of by mining, by, by manual work. And uh, according to the tablets, after uh, a certain amount of time, I think it was, it was thousands and thousands of years, after a certain amount of time, the Ajiji um, started to get upset and say, you know, look, we can't do this anymore. We're on strike. And um, Enki, uh, which was, you know, one of the gods I just mentioned, um, came up with a solution, brought it to the pantheon of gods and said, look, we need to create a slave worker. Um, um, a, a humanoid that uh, that can help dig the gold, and so basically they 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 tried several times using their own DNA with primate DNA, and it failed several times because of the way they were doing it with crystal jars versus clay jars, and then they were inseminating um, Anunnaki eggs in primate. Uh, I'm sorry, Anunnaki uh, sperm in primate uterus. That didn't work. And then several times, and you know, these depictions where you see humans with one leg and humans with three heads, and I, I believe were all true. I believe that they were all mistakes that they went through through the thousands of years from 432,000 B.C. to about 270,000 B.C. in trying to create uh, a homo sapien that's not too intelligent, but that could uh, mine and um, hear and, and, and speak to a degree, uh, but just do, do the manual work. And is there evidence uh, of these gold mining operations, for example, or, or would we we would expect to find evidence of a gold mining operation dating back 250,000 years ago? Where is yeah. the evidence yeah. for that? Yeah, there actually is evidence in South Africa of gold of mines. Um, it, it's interesting to note that Tallinger, Michael Tallinger, um, has mentioned in several of his books that um, there's actually human bones found 80 feet, 90 feet down um, in these mines um, that are 200,000 years old. And so when I, when I read about that, you know, my first thought was, you know, what would any rational human being be caught 80 feet down in a mine, you know, 80,000 years ago? That's not, those aren't the priorities. <laughs> priorities are, you know, getting food, shelter, procreating these things, not digging gold. And, oh, yeah, and what about what, what about the technology? Because this is an advanced, obviously an advanced race uh, of of humanoid. Uh, they would um, 
one would suppose have access to some pretty sophisticated mining equipment. Ha- has anything like that been found underground? No, you know, I no, they haven't. They haven't found any sophisticated equipment, um, which I find to be interesting. It, it appears that the Anunnaki took everything back with them, but um, there is direct evidence, and I have it in my book. Um, Adam decoded, but direct evidence in the pyramids, the Giza pyramids, where um, there have been huge saw marks, electrical saw marks, nine feet, ten foot saw marks that have been initiated, and then there had been a mistake, and then pulled out, and then started again in granite, in nine foot, you know, deep granite, which is impossible, you know, uh, three, four thousand years ago with copper tools to have to have done. Um, there's also uh, uh, pictures of, of laser holes um, that are, are threaded exactly as lasers are today uh, with diamond-tipped uh, laser heads. And so it's impossible to create these holes through nine feet of granite or dolomite um, without, without, a, without a, a, you know, a diamond-tipped laser, um, you know, even 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 today's you know what they call these um, these sound oscillating lasers uh, are can't even can't even you know do what they did two hundred thousand years ago. Um, there's a very very uh, good engineer named Christopher Dunn. I don't know if you've had him on your show before, but he's written several books about the Giza pyramids and about how he believes that they are act as uh, as machines or acted as machines. And he he's an electrical and a mechanical engineer. And he talks about how um, the thread marks in these holes, in these boring holes, are, are incredible. And um, this, the symmetry within these holes um, basically replicate uh, them using you know, vibratory and oscillating and sound um, to, to create 500 times faster drill bits speed than we can do today. So... It's just incredible the amount of evidence that, that at least exists, you know, in the Giza pyramids. Adam Decoded, Volume 2, is Leon Bibby's latest book. And um, I want to get back to the, the, the genetic experiment here. Is there anything in the cuneiforms that describes, uh, for example, how human DNA was manipulated? Because you, you, you in the book you talk about... Uh, for example, the the forty fifth and forty sixth chromosomes. Talk to me about DNA and and the manipulation. So um, the Sumerian tablets talk in po- in poetic in poetry actually, which is very interesting. But they talk about how Enki produced a human through his uh, they call it heavenly essence, um, and the heavenly essence basically is is DNA. Um, you know, it's talked about uh, basically on, on several occasions throughout the Bible as, uh, you know, the snake-like appearance um, and snake-like um, symbols. But I think the key with me is that after reading Francis Crick uh, and Hoyle and them cracking the DNA code in 1950, um, basically, you know, we have 30,000 genes, we have 46 chromosomes, primates have 44. And... In one of his books, he basically shows a comparison between a primate DNA and a human DNA. And in between 45 and 46, it looks like 
almost almost as if it were either tweaked and put back in or a fusion. And I show that in my first book, Adam Equals Alien, and it sort of looks like the, the shape of, a, of an S. And if you, if you would have taken the original primate DNA and snipping out portions of it, which I believe are two specific genes, FOXP2 and MYH16. Those two genes, FOXP2 gave us speech, which primates don't have, and there's a two-molecule difference between uh, their FOXP2 and ours and MYH16, which um, enhances cranial development. And so these two SNPs and ADs were those, in my opinion, those two genes, although I'm looking for more in my third book, which is called Blood Origins, but um, those two specifically are what Crick noticed and what I also saw um, him show in one of his books, and I just thought it was incredible. It just looked like a test tube baby, basically, where you snip out and tweezer back, um, you know, portions of, of, uh, of telomeres, they're called. Fascinating. And... Uh, what about people talk about uh, um, uh, Nick Redfern wrote, wrote a book about, you know, the blood type and how only a, a small percentage. Is it the is it the RH? RH negative. The RH negative. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which is not a blood type. That's more of a, a marker, uh, if I'm correct. Yes. Does that figure into into this this theory as well? Yeah. The RH absolutely. negative. You're hitting on some very, very key points in my, my in book three. Um, so we basically have blood types O, um, which is the most prevalent. We have A, which is the least, B, second least, AB. Um, and within those, O, A, B, and AB, usually we're RH positive. I know I'm RH positive. The majority of, of human beings, 85% of, of human beings are RH positive, RH coming from rhesus, the rhesus monkey. Um, uh, but, Leon, yeah. just pardon the interruption. I hear that music yeah. coming up, so I'm going to have to break away here. We'll take a quick break, come back. A short segment awaits. Uh, we'll, we'll let you finish up on that thought, and then we'll uh, continue our discussion on the ancient alien theory, the Anunnaki, the Sumerian tablets, and much more. Adam Decoded, Volume 2, Leon Bibby, my guest, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Don't be afraid. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Follow the truth. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM740. Welcome back. Leon Bibby stays with us for the full two hours. Adam Decoded, Volume 2, is his latest, and you'll see him in an upcoming episode of Ancient Aliens that will air in September 2019 on the History Channel. Uh, so we were uh, talking about uh, blood types and RH negative uh, before we had to step away for a break, Leon. So I want you to continue on uh, and finish that thought before we move on to other matters. Sure. So... Uh Four different types of blood, O, A, B, A, B, um, RH positive, RH negative, RH positive being the most prevalent, 85%. Um, it's believed that RH negative initially stemmed from Cro-Magnon man, which is precisely that the primate that the Anunnaki inseminated 
or took sperm from to create humans. If, if Cro-Magnon man was in fact uh, RH negative, then that would help to explain partially the reason why there is 15% of humans have RH negative. Specifically, what, uh, a race of, or a, 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 an area in Spain, Morocco, called the Basques. And these people that live in the Pyrenees Mountains, the Basques, have uh, something around 80% of them have RH negative blood. So scientists are bewildered where the RH negative came from. If Darwin were correct and Cro-Magnons eventually, through natural selection, mutated into Homo sapiens, um, first there aren't any fossils to prove that, but if they did, then um, certainly it would either be mutated out and there would only be a RH positive um, or something, some extra external event happened um, to continue that because they they died out they died out 30,000 years ago they were 120,000 up to 30,000 so they 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 outlasted the Neanderthals but they died out we know that so they died out so if they died out how did the RH negative then continue to the Basques we don't know and for the 50% that are not RH negative that are RH positive Right. How do we explain so I that? Think that? I think, you know, I think, I think, uh, I think the RH negative, if in fact, did, if it did come from the Anunnaki, which I think is, is a very reasonable theory, then that would have passed down, and I think Nick Redfern is right on the money, passed down from the original humans, from the Noah, no, the, the, the several Noahs that, that were created, down through, I'm sorry, the several Adams that were created, down through Noah, uh, Moses, Jesus, and then through the bloodlines, a specific and, and, and only blood-to-blood is keeping within themselves. And so I believe that, the, you know, RH-negative is, is an external blood that came, came through and that were kept within bloodlines to maintain power, to maintain history, to maintain, um, you know, familial genetics all right now uh i'm a bible believing christian and and i believe the flood was basically god deciding to chlorinate the gene pool because uh the the, the fallen uh the fallen angels had uh, commingled with the daughters of men and created this genetic hybrid these offspring the nephilim and so in the ancient alien theory, how is the flood explained? I mean, is it is it Enlil basically yeah. upset because Enki created or helped create, I guess, along with um, the Lady of the Earth, uh, Ninma, created this this genetic hybrid? Yeah, uh, it's a very good question. Um, from what I've read in the tablets and the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, it seems as if Enlil never liked humans from the start, did, was opposed to the idea of creating humans to begin with, didn't want them to be too smart, which is, I think, part of the reason why, you know, we have 90% of our um, DNA turned off, basically, quote-unquote, turned off. But he didn't, didn't want, he didn't like them. They were too, quote-unquote, noisy. It's mentioned in the Sumerian tablets that they, they created too much noise. Um the Tower of Babel, I think, is one of the precursors to the animosity. And 
it's interesting. I have in my book, my second book, Adam Decoded, that there's a depiction in one of the Sumerian tablets of, of a missile. And the depiction starts underground and goes over underground, and the, the, the top of the missile, the, the rocket, is above. And so the Tower of Babel, in my opinion, was an attempt by humans to create a rocket uh, to go up to heaven, quote-unquote. And I think this infuriated Enlo. I think he thought then that humans are getting too smart, um, they want to become, they think that they are gods like us, and something has to, has to be done. And so I think that's, that's why they uh, either used an asteroid to create the flood or some other gravitational force that made the Antarctic ice slip and then create massive, you know, waves and, and basically kill 98% of the humans on Earth. All right. Adam, we'll jump in here. We'll take another time out, come back, and continue with our conversation. Leon Bibby, Adam Decoded, Volume 2. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Beaming across North America, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Question everything. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. And we are back. Leon Bibby. Adam Decoded, Volume 2. And his first book is uh, Adam Equals Alien. That's volume one. All right. We are going to open up the phone lines at the top of the hour. Questions and comments uh, for Liani stays with us for the full two hours. Uh, so we were talking about the uh, the Great Flood uh, and Enlil basically seeking uh, sort of revenge uh, because Enki had decided to create this uppity race of humans. <laughs> and um, uh, I mean, this family uh, squabble. Uh, I mean, how entrenched was it? I mean, um, what else did Enlil try and try to do uh, to sort of um, seek retribution on Enki? Uh, and to did he try and destroy the human race again after the flood? Tell me about that. So Enlil and Enki were children of Anu. Anu being the supreme god of the Anunnaki, and Enlil, uh, Enki being uh, uh, the son of Anu and his wife, first wife, and Enlil being the son of Anu and his sort of mistress. And there had always been jealousy between Enlil and Enki, uh, Enki thinking that he should be the, the one sole leader, and uh, Enlil seems to be favored by Anu um, because when they came down to Earth, um, Anu specifically gave en Enlil, um, he being the you know the, the god of the Earth um, and the, the main decision maker um, in 
in, in, in the main missile areas, uh, the rocket areas, and where the, where the UFOs landed, uh, Lebanon, Israel, um, all the Middle East, and they basically gave Enki Africa. So they sort of gave Enki the, the oversight of, of, of the mining, which was the toil, the hard work. And Enlil uh, sort of became that jealous god and um, overseeing, um, the, overseeing all of the, the ships coming in and out, the energy needed um, to keep the ships going, which I think was through pyramids, etc. So there was always animosity between Enlil and Enki. And there was infighting between these gods as well. It's mentioned several times um, in the Sumerian tablets, in the Mahabharata, the Indian um, um, sacred text. It's mentioned uh, the flying Vimanas um, shooting each other um, with, with missiles of mass destruction. It even mentions nuclear uh, attack uh, on each other um, in, in Israel. And there's, there's a chapter in my first book, Adam Equals Alien, called Vitrification. And Vitrification shows a picture of a, um, a uh, it used to be a mountain um, in, in Israel, in the Negev Desert, which is is now almost sliced off as if it were, um, if, as if it looked like a volcano, and it's just sliced off, and the top having all these remnants of, of uh, vitrified um, calcite and, um, and glass. And um, Israeli geologists uh, have no idea where this could have come from because there's no volcano there. Um, and there, there wasn't a, any crater um, signifying a meteorite or anything of that nature. So they are, they're, they're bewildered. There's also vitrified glass in Africa, in, in, the, in the deserts in Africa. So um, there's definitely um, proof that there was nuclear um, bombs um, thrown between the, you know, exchange between the Anunnaki. And then in, as it relates to your first question, did, did it happen after... Tower of Babel. I think it did. I think I think Sodom and Gomorrah was a direct um, n- nuclear attack on, on the humans, and you know um, it's obviously mentioned in the Bible uh, where Lot's wife turns around becomes a pillar of salt, which I find is very very interesting because in Hebrew salt means vaporized. Another word for salt is vaporized, um, and the words that they used in the Bible um, basically that the blinding light um, and um, other words um, th- that they couldn't eat, humans couldn't eat afterwards, became sick, vomited, um, just to me are, are, are just direct, um, it's a direct signification that, that that's, you know, that's radiation from a nuclear blast. And also, that's, lastly, some, I th- that's some sibling rivalry. <laughs> I know I have a brother, but I would never do that. Um, <laughs> Hurl around a few nuclear bombs. Uh, yeah, we just put a piece of tape down the, the middle of our, our bedroom and we say, you stay over there and I'll stay over here. But not Enlil and Enki. Um, and, and what about... I also wanted to say, sorry, Richard, go ahead. I found, it, I found, sorry, found it really interesting. I want to mention this. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but Oppenheimer, Robert Oppenheimer, in 1952, yes. who was the father of the nuclear bomb in, uh, in, in New Mexico had a, had a, 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 a speaking engagement um, at Rochester, University of Rochester, and he spoke to a big group of people about uh, how he felt after exploding the bomb. And somebody asked him, and it's, it's all written down in the, in, the, in, the, in the meeting, you know, how did you feel about being the father of the first nuclear bomb? And he answered that, um, that he was not proud of creating the nuclear bomb, but that this was not the first. 
And he said right. it clearly. Right. So he knew. Uh, now, what about um, getting from Earth to Nibiru uh, today? Is that still possible? Do we does Nibiru need to be in our vicinity, or can we use stargates to get there? How how would that work? I think they use stargates. Um, I think um, the pillar of you know the, the the dome of the rock in Israel. I think that that uh, it's my presumption that that is uh, this was a stargate. That that's one of the reasons why this dome is so. First of all, why it was covered with gold was that it was a signification to um, to UFOs that this is a spot. This is a stargate. So I believe, yes, I believe that was a stargate. Um, there are other stargates, um, Chile, Peru, um, that I've read about. Um, but, but yes, a stargate, I think, is obviously the most efficient way of, of doing it. I personally don't – I haven't read into how it's done. Uh, I'm certain that it uses the Einstein-Rosen bridge theory, um, and and that's how they 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 manipulate time and space to to get there. Um, or you can obviously fly at light speed or greater than light speed to get there. Um, not sure how many light years away they are, but um, it's way past Pluto, so I think it would take a, take a long time. In in your book, Adam decoded. You say that Nibiru is heaven. Hmm. Explain. I, you know, I, um, I always wondered what heaven was, and I always thought, as a child, and even before I started reading heavily about this, I, I always thought heaven was sort of the sky and the clouds, and I never really pinned heaven as being a planet. And after doing so much reading of the Sumerian tablets, um, I. I feel it's again my only my theory that the Anunnaki were our small g, small g, not big g, gods, plural. Uh, they did create us. This is pre-religion, pre-Judaism, pre-Christianity, pre-Muslim faith. Um, so, um, and if they did, um, and they are from Nibiru, then I believe that the humans that were developed and from them, um, worship them as their god or gods, and that heaven was the place where they wanted to go. I think that this is uh, why the Egyptians embalmed their their dynasties uh, as mummies. I believe that they were um, encapsulating the DNA, and even though that their for their bodies died, uh, I still believe that their DNA was um, capable of being reused, um, either on Nibiru or, or on Earth again. And so I sort of equated Nibiru to heaven. And so I, that's what I think, you know, humans thought heaven was. Is it, is it inhabitable for humans? Can, is it hospitable to humans? That's Would it be? a really good question. I don't know. Um, I, I, from what I've read, you know, carbon, oxygen, nitrogen. So it's got three of the main components uh, that humans need. How much oxygen? I, I don't know. I do know that the Earth's gravity is such that it, it creates a, a stress on these telomeres, which are connectors between two DNA strands. So the Anunnaki, when they came here, 
um, were aging quicker than their norm. And they live tens of thousands of years. They, you know, they're 500 million years ahead of us, which is significant. I'm sure that they figured out how to extend their lives almost to, you know, they're living forever. Um, they were capable of dying, which is interesting, but um, they, they were aging here. And I think that, I think that um, there was a lot, a lot of stress on their body, and that's why they kept leaving and coming back. Um, so I think uh, that humans probably could live on Nibiru, um, maybe in, you know, certain, in, in, you know, encapsulated buildings, but I think it is possible. You have a picture, a photograph in Adam Decoded. It is uh, reportedly the only photograph taken from Nibiru's surface. Tell me about the origins of that photograph. Right. This was, um, I wasn't sure what to, what to believe of this initially, but after showing this to a few of my fellow authors, um, that, that I'm, I'm sort of in a little group of authors that write about the ancient alien um, space, um, they believe that this is legitimate. They, they believe that this is, comes from uh, one of the smaller islands in Norway um, and that it was taken uh, through a very powerful lens. I don't know which camera, uh, but it's, it's passed down through, um, through several authors, several UFO researchers, um, uh, apparently a, a couple people from NASA even, and uh, they, they, they are saying that NASA is basically saying that they're not sure if it's uh, if it's Planet X, but um, other some of the articles from the Wall Street Journal, New York Times have said that this is certainly possible to be the only photograph. So if if it is, then it's it's pretty miraculous that it was taken from Earth. And what is the, we just have a minute here before we head into the break, but what is the status of Nibiru today? Do we know? Is it, is it inhabited? Is it a dead planet? Is it a thriving, uh, thriving. Anunnaki civilization? Yeah, I wish it. I think it's, I think it's thriving just like Earth. I think it's got millions of people. I don't know how many millions. Um, they're humanoids just like us, uh, but well advanced than us. Um, they, uh, they're, they apparently have stabilized their atmosphere. Otherwise, we'd see them more, I think. The, the last Anunnaki left 200 B.C., um, but, but many of them left 2000 uh, B.C., uh, so the last group left 200 B.C. So we haven't seen them for 2,200 years. Um, but, yeah, I believe that they're living there. I believe that they probably stabilized their atmosphere, and they're, they're, they're headed back. They're coming back, folks. All right. Leon stays with us in hour two. We'll open up the phone lines, questions and comments. The author of Adam Decoded, Volume 2, and Adam Equals Alien here for the next hour on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Live from Toronto, Canada, Earth, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Hey, thanks for inviting me into your home. Long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed rec room. You know, the one with the wood paneling and the beer fridge and the hi-fi. Your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. 
A big howdy-do to all of you listening in on our flagship station, Zoomer Radio, 740 megahertz on the amplitude modulation band, 96.7 on the frequency modulation band. Hi to those checking us out on one of our affiliate stations across North America, those who take The Conspiracy Show uh, with you on your mobile device with The Conspiracy Show and Zoomer Radio apps, both free downloads, by the way. Hello to all of you watching us on the live stream on our YouTube channel. Please hit that red sub button. And hello to all of you in the YouTube live chat. However, and wherever you're listening or watching, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes, and I thank you for your fine company. Hey, we are now on Patreon, patreon.com. Please visit our page there, patreon.com forward slash The Conspiracy Show, and support us if you can. And a special thanks to Denny, uh, our Star Chamber supporter. Thank you, Denny, in Augusta, Maine. Uh, check out my podcasts if you haven't already. Conspiracy Unlimited drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Conspiracy Unlimited. And you can listen and subscribe at conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com. And the Rock and Roll Twilight Zone, new episodes every Wednesday, part of the Jericho Network, available on Spotify and the Westwood, Westwood One podcast app. Or you can go to strangeplanet.ca and you can access it there as well. Uh, Leon Bibby is here for the uh, the second hour and we're going to open up the phone lines, questions and comments. Let me give you those numbers. 416-360-0740. That's for the greater Toronto area. Again, 416-360-0740. And toll free from out of town and just about anywhere, 1-866-740-4740, 1-866-740-4740. I'll also take questions from those in our YouTube live chat as well. So get those questions and comments ready. So you mentioned, um, Leon, that the, the last Anunnaki, they left roughly 2,000 years ago. Why did they leave? I think they couldn't survive after the last blast, after Sodom and Gomorrah. I think it it created such turmoil uh, for them. Uh, it actually created flooding. So all the mines in South Africa became flooded. They could no longer mine gold. Um, it's interesting, though, that they found gold on the opposite side of the earth in Lake Titicaca in Bolivia uh, because of the flooding uh, it unearthed through this lake, it unearthed gold um, at the bottom of, of this lake so they switched mining Enki switched mining over to Peru and Bolivia from from Africa but I think the Anunnaki just um, just felt that it was getting out of control uh, the familiar, familial issues, certainly between Enlil and Enki, were out of control. And Anu said, "Let's, you know, come on back. We've got, we've got the gold we need. Uh, head back home." Did Enlil and Enki leave behind uh, certain factions that were loyal to either one or the other? As far as Anunnaki, or as far as human? Well, humans that were loyal to one, oh. to 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 one or the other. 
I, you know, again, this is my theory. I, I think that the Anunnaki, uh, Enki, uh, certainly left more of a major impact. I think most of Latin America, uh, you know, the, the, the pyramids in, in Mexico, pyramids in Central America, I think were all initially designed and helped to be built by Enki. Um, he is deified, you know, as, um, as, 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 as a god, in my opinion, in, in Latin America. I show pictures of, you know, faces of, uh, of um, in Tenochtitlan in the, in the pyramids of, of their god that they believe um, created the heavens and, and earth. Um, so I, I think he left more of a, of, a, of a positive imprint, let's say. I think Enlil um, was directly related to the Israelites. I think he was the, je- the, the jealous, diff- tougher God um, that, that, that the Jewish people were, um, were, were worshiping. And I, and I, think, I think he still is um, deified, in my opinion, as God. All right, I'm going to go to the uh, the YouTube live chat for a question, and someone with the handle Thinker wants to know how do you explain the uh, elongated skulls in Peru? That's a great question. You know, uh, scientists have been looking at those skulls for years. Um, they they've they're popping up everywhere. They're in Peru, Bolivia. Um, several scientists are living in Peru and Bolivia. Just just. Just researching them, um, I believe that they're direct descendants from Anunnaki. I believe that the the, the skulls weren't um, weren't man-made, weren't made by some, uh, you know, subs, you know, a lot a lot of times in Africa, they'll they'll bind the top of the skull of an infant, which is sort of mushy, let's say, not firm, and it will become almost like an egg-like head. And I believe that this was uh, this was a deification of the Anunnaki. Uh, but the, in Peru and Bolivia, I think these are legitimate skulls that, that, that are still sitting in museums in these cities of Anunnaki skulls. I, I think these are, these are real. These are 2,000 cc cranium, cranium skulls from Anunnaki, and I think that there's no explanation for them because they're, they're, they're not sort of mutated. Um, they're, they had to have been legitimate. And what do we know of the, the physical description of the Anunnaki from the cuneiform tablets? Uh, did they talk about sort of a conical shaped head? Yeah, they could. They talk, the Egyptians had, had it, um, you know, which were, again, direct descendants. But yes, you see the Anunnaki with conical shaped heads, especially the women. You see um, the, them in the tablets wearing a headdress um, on top. Um, and it stemmed right down through the Egyptian pharaohs and dynasties. You see even Tutankhamun and Akhenaten all having um, elongated skulls. And um, it, it didn't come from the first Cro-Magnons because the Cro-Magnons had shorter skulls with 950 cc brains. These brains are 1,450 cc to 2,200 cc, much, much more advanced than Cro-Magnon. So obviously these skulls came from somewhere. Let's go to the phones, and Melanie is in Toronto. Melanie, good evening, good morning. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Good evening. I'm sorry that I only caught the last 20 minutes. 
But my opinion is, and I would like to hear yours, on uh, the uh, uh, place of Christ in, in our society and in your theories, because I truly believe that Christ was the final word of our Creator, and I believe that He made two simple statements that uh, the rich man didn't want to admit to, and that was, there are two important things for humanity. There's only two, to love God and to love people. Now, we as human beings are failing in that horrifically, and we have to be careful that we do not confuse those that are of weak hearts, weak minds, and we don't treat them and teach them in the wrong direction and lead them, lead them down the wrong path so that they want to look for gods everywhere and they want to be gods themselves instead of admiring and, 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 and glorifying the one true God. We, we're not, we can't even conceive of, of, of his power, of the, of the blessed designer. And so we have to be very, very careful. I take this as entertainment, as you're saying, which is, I hope, what everybody else is. But I'm really concerned for those that are a little bit, you know, who haven't um, read the Bible, who haven't actually, you know, tried to delve into its meaning and to see that Christ, you know, what's the word for it? You um, distilled everything to two commandments, love God and love your neighbor, which means those things are the two things we should be centering our lives around. Okay, Melanie, let me just forgive me, but let me see if I can sort of groove this into this conversation. Um, Leon, how does an historical Jesus fit into this narrative? I think he's one of the original uh, offspring, uh, in my opinion, uh, as was Moses, as was Abraham, as was Noah. I think he was one of the original Nephilim which is offspring of Anunnaki and human. I think his uh, miracles were real. Uh, I think that he was um, obviously appointed as uh, as the son of God. Um, and uh, I believe that his, um, as you say, um, love God, love your neighbor, are two of the most, if not the most, important um, communi- communications that we could have in life. So I believe that, yes, he was, in fact, one of the most important, if not the most important, uh, Nephilim discussed in the Bible. Hello? Uh, all right, here's a question from Nick on the live chat. Uh, what do you think about the pyramids being used for extraterrestrial communication? Uh, why did the Anunnaki build the pyramids, Leon? So uh, the pyramids, in my opinion, were energy devices. Um, and they needed to use the ley lines of the earth to emulsify that energy that's beneath the earth now everywhere on the earth and if you notice all of the pyramids and there there are there are 10,000 pyramids on the earth some very small and some very large some you know about some you haven't seen yet but there are 10,000 pyramids and they all lay along these ley lines these energy grids uh, several people have written books about ley lines and about the energy grids. But I believe that the pyramids were used for to create energy to uh, to basically power up their ships, power up their lasers, power up their civilization. So um, it's just interesting that a couple of the authors that I discussed in my book, um, two, two of which, one is an electrical engineer and one is a one is a chemical engineer, Christopher Dunn, um, talks about 
the pyramids using piezoelectrical energy, uh, creating hydrochloric acid and hydrogen fuel, similar to how the sun, the fuels that the the the, the this is what the sun uses as energy, and he proves this by by showing that there is remnants of hydrochloric acid and gypsum in both the kings and queens chambers. So there must have been a reason to create these remnants. Um, Cadman uh, talks about the, the pyramids as being a water pump, um, almost like a, a catalyst for uh, water energy. And he also shows remnants of salt and iron and even gold um, in, in the pyramids. So um, they were definitely used, in my opinion, as energy. I find it very interesting that the top portion of the Giza pyramid is missing. Um, I think that it was, uh, if you look at the pyramid right now, if you look at pictures of the pyramid, you'll see that, that there's, it, it's missing some sort of a, a capstone, they call it. And I believe the capstone was, was, uh, was a crystal, was crystalline in, in nature, and that it used the power generated inside of the pyramid um, to, to connect the other pyramids with that same power. All right, Leon, stay put. Adam decoded volume two of the book. More of our conversation after this and your questions and comments when The Conspiracy Show continues. Stay with us. In a democracy, we elect officials so we can sleep at night. So why are you up? 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. PIN numbers, passcodes, social insurance numbers. If they make you wonder how private they are, here's two more numbers. 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. 740. And welcome back. Leon Bibby stays with us for the full two hours. We are taking your questions and comments. Let me give you the numbers again. 416-360-0740 in the GTA, the greater Toronto area. And toll free from out of town, 1-866-740-4740. Also taking questions from our faithful listeners in the uh, the live chat on our YouTube channel. Uh, is there a correlation, or what is the correlation, between the, let's call it the Anunnaki pantheon and the Greek gods, or the Egyptian gods? Absolutely. I think that the Anunnaki were the pantheon of Greek gods, the Hercules, the Poseidon, and I think that their, that their weapons... Um, correlated specifically to that god. For example, um, you would have Hercules with the hammer, you would have, um, uh, you would have Poseidon with the, the, the fork. All of these were actual weapons that um, the Anunnaki had in their possession that basically acted, acted as, uh, as lasers, acted as um, devices that just would, you know, create havoc. And these, I, I believe that these this pantheon of the 12 Greek gods were exactly the same pantheon of, uh, or a depiction of the same pantheon of Anunnaki. Uh, we talked about the pyramids. Uh, what about Gobekli Tepe and Stonehenge? Were they also uh, built 
with the aid or the direct uh, the direct input of the Anunnaki? I think so. I went I went to Stonehenge about three week, three years ago, and I found it to be f- just fascinating. It, it it lies on a ley line, um, a, an energy line, I, and I found it fascinating that these you know that that anyone could lift a, an eight ton rock and put it on top of two other rocks. You know, for what purpose would that be? That that it wouldn't be for um, it wouldn't be for crop, you know, helping them with the crops. There, it obviously was a sundial of some sort, uh, but it also acted uh, in such a way. Besides keeping time, um, I think it acted in such a way as as an energy creator. And you see, you see evidence of of Stonehenge-like circles. Tallinger, Michael Tallinger talks about this in several books that he's written. Very interesting. The same shape as Stonehenge in Africa, Tanzania, South Africa. These circular, I guess you'd say shaped objects. And he believes that the, these circular shaped ob- objects that look like Stonehenge um, were used for energy. Um, um, and so, yeah, I believe as definitely Stonehenge uh, was used for energy. And what was the other one you mentioned, Richard? Oh, Gobekli Tepe. Right. Gobekli Tepe is fascinating. Um, Gobekli Tepe apparently is the oldest um, at at, at, at almost 14,000 years old, carbon dated. Um, So it it, it predated any civilization that was found, this civilization in Turkey. Um, I'm not sure. It's it's early right now as far as excavation of Gobekli Tepe. Um, a, f- a friend of mine, a fellow author named Collins, has written a book about Gobekli Tepe, and uh, it's it's really really fascinating what's what's being uncovered. But it's only about ten years in, and there's a German archaeologist working on Gobekli Tepe right now who's really really good, and um, giving us information I think biannually. And so I, I believe Gobekli Tepe is going to be another Stonehenge. What are your thoughts on uh, what's going on, apparently, allegedly down in the Antarctic? Uh, we've had a number of dignitaries. We had the head of the Russian Orthodox Church uh, suddenly visit Antarctica. Uh, former Secretary of State John Kerry made a visit to the Antarctica. Uh, it's been suggested there is a massive alien craft, something like three miles in length or width, I'm not sure what the the exact diameter is, that is now being revealed as this, the ice uh, begins melting down there. Uh, how does that fit into this narrative, if at all? I find Antarctica to be so interesting. Um, I've read several books about Antarctica being Atlantis uh, by some authors named Flem Ath, uh, two or three books about this, talking about how Plato discussed it as being an island, looking, you know, an island, Antarctica is an island, uh, being uh, made out of concentric circles, which underneath the ice, uh, we, we have noticed that there is not only uh, lush land there and, and water, but um, concentric circles. So was it Atlantis? I, I don't know. But uh, that, that's, you don't think so? That's a possibility. I don't know. But I didn't, I do know that there was, uh, was a U.S. mission led by an Admiral Byrd in the 19, late 1940s to Antarctica. And uh, he went with, I think, five or six battleships, uh, two or three ice crushers, um, and uh, several planes. And I do know that that 
Admiral Byrd came back saying that there were ships, UFOs, that came out of the water and fired upon him and his ships. He lost three battleships, I think one ice, one ice crusher, and several planes. Um, it was not the Nazis that were supposedly in, in Antarctica at the time as well. So I find that so interesting. Um, I did also hear about a UFO. I, I didn't know how big, but a UFO in the, in the ice um, somewhere in, in the middle of Antarctica. Uh, but I, I, I just find it very, very interesting. And, and yes, could there be an alien presence there under the water or under the ice? Sure, absolutely. The, uh, the, the uh, alleged meeting with President Eisenhower and a group of aliens – in 1953, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Anunnaki, yes, the Anunnaki were not, I'm guessing, involved in that since the last no. one departed in 2000. Um, so, since 2000, since 2000, uh, the well, 2000 years ago, when the last of the Anunnaki left, is it now pretty much open season on other extraterrestrial civilizations that want to intervene? Uh, are they doing it uh, with the tacit approval of the Anunnaki? Are they doing it, uh, you know, despite Anunnaki warnings to stay to stay away? I mean, how is this how is this playing out? So that's, that's a great question. Um, so what I've read is that there are 57 species of aliens that have been um, given terminology in our in the u.s undercover military and canadian um so of the 57 species several of them and i discussed several of the 10 of these species in my in my second book uh the grays are um everywhere the 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 grays come from zeta reticuli um and there seems to be several different variations of grays tall some short um, and of the short, there are defi- some species, sub- subspecies of the short, um, some that are leaders, some that are sort of uh, followers, almost like robotic, if not robotic, followers. Um, so, I, yeah, I think, I think it's open season. I think uh, the Earth is a very, very special place. I think um, we have developed faster than many, many races, um, and that people are noticing us, I think, after the nuclear, uh, first nuclear warhead was set off, they're, they're, they're noticing us with, I think, admiration for the, 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 the speed at which we're evolving, but very, very concerned about our warlike tendencies. And they're concerned because if we continue to unleash nuclear warheads anywhere on Earth, it does affect the rest of the universe uh, because uh, through vibration, uh, because basically everything is vibration and everything is sound. And waves, and um, it, it it has effect, and so they're very very concerned, and that's why there have been shutdowns in Montana of nuclear facilities, just literally shut off uh, by UFOs. Um, there are UFOs all over the U.S. and Canada that are that are just concerned and um, showing themselves and saying we're here, and if you continue to, you know, con- continue to have your nuclear warheads ready to to fire, we're going to do something about it. And so. I've always wondered, though, where were the UFOs in 1945 when the Americans dropped two big ones on Japan? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's a very, very good question because I've, I've heard UFOs have been around since 
early 1900s, and there there've been um, stories about them in 1936, 38, 39, um, and then obviously 43 Roswell and and going forward. I don't know. I don't know why they stopped um, Oppenheimer from dropping the first nuke. I don't know. Um, maybe they were going to see can they you know will they really do it? But I I I don't know. But I think after that happened, it, it created such a shockwave, literally shockwave um, across other sentient beings that. Um, We've become sort of that uh, that kindergarten bully um, in a world of uh, mature adults, and they're very worried about us. Getting back to the '53 uh, treaty or arrangement that was made, is is that where permission was given to certain species to abduct uh, humans? Yes, uh, from what I've read through Freedom of Information Act documents um, in Washington. Um, in fact, there was a treaty um, between our president um, and uh, their ambassador, one of the Greys ambassador, we'll call the Griotta Treaty, and Griotta, G-R-E signifying Grey, alien. Um, and this treaty um, was a direct exchange on the U.S. The U.S.'s part, uh, the U.S. wanted a military information, lasers, chips, um, anything that would help them in the, in the military sense, and the Greys needed um, needed DNA, uh, human DNA, cow, cow DNA, uh, which is very very similar to human and human DNA. And the United States apparently um, told them they can have X amount of human DNA and no more. <laughs> and, and apparently the Greys uh, didn't didn't follow along with that. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> yeah, I would think the uh, that treaty would have expired by now, or should have. Um, Jacques Vallée and a growing number of people who research in this space, who write about UFOs and ETs, uh, Dr. David Jacobs, Nick Redfern, um, are coming around to believing that there is a deception going on here with ETs. Filet wrote a book called The Messengers of Deception. Dr. David Jacobs believes that the alien abduction uh, phenomenon, which has been sort of described as, um, I guess, some sort of a step in our in consciousness or consciousness raising, uh, in, you know, a lot of people in the UFO community say is, believe that there's nothing, nothing nefarious about alien abductions. But you have then people like Dr. David Jacobs and others who believe that there is a a alien human hybrid program going on, and uh, this is all sort of a precursor to an invasion. So as I say, more and more people coming to this realization that there is a deception going on. What are your thoughts? I agree. I think there is a deception. Uh, I think there's a lot of very, very bad um, tendencies. Uh, the fact that they're not keeping with their word, based upon the Griotta Treaty, is uh, is a is a is it is it to me t- tells you, you can't trust any of these gray aliens. I have read about other aliens, however, that are um, tall whites. We call them the tall whites um, uh, from Andromeda. That apparently are very positive and want peace and love and 
uh, the, you know, procurement of, of, of information and education and evolution. And so I do, and I have read about other species that are uh, very fond of, of Earth and um, sort of feel, uh, I guess, with all of the intergalactic information that I've read, um, start stemming from Orion and Sirius, right? So several, several species have stemmed from Orion and Sirius and then have let, moved on to the Zeta Reticulides, the Nibirus, to other planets. Um, I think everyone sort of wants to have a little imprint on, on our little galaxy, uh, part of the galaxy, and Earth being a, a really important one. I think, I think we're very special, and I think, um, I think that they uh, not only are looking for resources in the form of DNA uh, from cows or humans, but, um, or, or raw resource, metal resources, I think that um, they're very um, they're very interested in our speedy development, how quickly we've developed, and um, you know, moving from the third to the fourth to the fifth density of uh, of, of of intellect. I think that they're in only all right, Leon. I got to jump in here. Apologies. We'll take a break. We'll come back and continue. Uh, Leon Bibby, Adam Decoded, Volume Two. Back with more. Stay with us. Big Brother is listening, and so are you. To The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Different views make great conversation. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. Welcome back. Leon Bibby stays with us. Adam Decoded Volume 2. The first book was... Uh, Adam equals alien. Uh, Leon, uh, give us a website and tell us where we can get a hold of these books. Uh, right. So my first book, uh, Adam equals alien, is available on www.adamalien.com, which is my own website, um, or you could go onto Amazon. And Adam Decoded uh, is going through now. I'm creating a new website for it um, because it's part of a trilogy. Um, Adam Decoded is available on Amazon. If you just type in Adam Decoded, it's available in Canada. Uh, U.S., etc. Excellent. All right, we'll go to the phones, and Ted is in North Carolina. Ted, good morning. Welcome to the Conspiracy Show. Do we have Ted there? Ted, going once. Go ahead. I'm here. Hey, Ted, you're on. Go ahead. Okay. Your question for Leon Bibby. Yeah, I got a question. What are those little devices around their wrists that look like wristwatches? All the statues and pictures you see of the Anunnaki, they're all wearing what appears to be a wristwatch, and mostly on their right arm. Excellent question, Ted. Leon, I'm guessing it's not an Apple phone or an Apple watch. <laughs> uh, it's a phenomenal observation, Ted. Uh, yes, they're wearing uh, some sort of a, uh, a watch on their wrist. Uh, that's a communicative device where they can communicate um, directly to Nibiru um, or to anywhere on Earth. Uh, it's also a weapon. Um, it's uh, apparently it's an, it emits a pulsating beam, 
that can render uh, a human sort of incapable of movement. So it doesn't kill, but it apparently is an, uh, a beam-emitting pulsator. They, they refer to it in, in the Sumerian tablets as the pulsator. And what about the little bags they all seem to carry? Another good question. Um, I know they're not sissy, so, but they all seem to carry these little bags with them. Yeah, I, I don't know what's in those bags. Um, I've, I've seen them in, in several Sumerian tablets. Uh, I, I don't know what's in it, but I have seen it. They're allowed one piece of carry-on. That's what it is. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Great questions. Thank you for those. Um, when the Anunnaki return, you you stated, Leon, earlier that you believe it'll be around the year 3100? Yes. Is, is that something that we should be fearful of or look forward to in your estimation? I think fearful. I think uh, it's not a good thing. Um, I think it's going to create uh, a lot of uh, gravitational pull issues. It's going to create flooding. It's going to create, um, hopefully, the Earth doesn't, you know, the Earth has moved on its axis before, and that's part of the reasons we, we've had the Ice Age and, and, and major, you know, um, evolution, major gravitational and geological issues. But it's going to create a lot of problems, I think, and they always do come to Earth when, it, when they're within our, our galaxy. And they will definitely come to Earth at that time. So, I'm concerned. I'm concerned. I don't think it's. Uh, I don't think it's going to be a hello greeting. Well, the the, the sort of the perturbations aside, uh, what about the motives this time around from from the Anunnaki? I mean, who's going to be in charge? Is it going to be Enlil or Enki? Are they still alive? I think so. I think they're still alive because you know it's. From the Egyptian king's list, I don't know if you know about this, but there's a Sumerian tablet that's square, rectangular, and it has the Egyptian king's list. that lists all of the kings of the Egyptian dynasty. And you'll notice that each of these kings lived between, or reigned, between 4,000 and up to 26,000 years. Now, some people say, oh, it's not really a year. Uh, it's it's in 26,000 divided by 7, or divided by 6, the sexagesimal system. I think it's legitimate. I think it's 26,000 years. And I think that these were Anunnaki who lived 50, 70,000 years. Um, so if that's true, then Enlil and Enki could very well still be alive. And who, who do you think is going to be in charge when they swing by the next time? I hope Enki. Because in my opinion, Enki is uh, Enki's the good guy. In, in our development, Enki's the creator of us, in my opinion, again. Um, and Enki is, uh, is you know, he's, he's venerated all over Latin America as Quetzalcoatl, um, as uh, the feathered being, the feathered god. Um, and the pyramids were all dedicated to him. He apparently uh, just created, just educated the people on civil, how, to, how to be civilized laws, court system, judicial uh, uh, contracts, marriage, divorce, everything. So um, I think he was basically the, you know, the positive um, protagonist. And I think he loves what he created. And the Sumerian tablets even said that I love my creation, that he said that he loves his creation. And I think that he's 
to me, he's uh, he's the most positive, uh, you know, being that that we have seen in the tablets. And if he's in charge, when he when when Nibiru swings by again, would you then anticipate that there would be? Will he come bearing gifts? In other words, is he going to kickstart our our human evolution again? Is he going to yeah. is he going to bestow free energy upon us and these sorts of things? I think so. I think you know, genius as you mentioned, free energy. Genius is like Tesla, um, um, who was th- a thousand years ahead of his time um, with free energy. Um, People like Einstein, genius like this, Galileo, Aristotle, people like this um, were almost as if they were his students, that they learned one one-hundredth of his knowledge and tried to apply it to a good cause. And I think that Tesla was really the last greatest scientist um, besides Einstein of our time, especially as it relates to energy. And I believe that Enki was depicted in several pictures um, um, as, uh, you know, in, in, in working almost like an, like an architect of energy, um, would certainly be very proud that a, you know, a person like a Tesla or an Einstein uh, became what they became. And I think, yes, he would want to hopefully come to Earth, see where we're at, and bring us to, I was mentioning, the fourth density which is like an, uh, almost as if you're unlocking 10% more of that quote-unquote junk DNA and um, becoming super intelligent. If only he had not swung by 40 years ago, I might have passed my SATs. <laughs> All right, we'll come back. Uh, one last segment remains with Leon Bibby, Adam Decoded, Volume 2. Stay with us. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. All right, Leon Bibby stays with us for a short while yet. Adam Decote, Volume 2, is the book. And uh, we are opening the phone lines, questions, and comments for Leon at 416-360-0740. In the greater Toronto area, last call to the phones, 416-360-0740. Toll free from just about anywhere, one 866 1-866-740-4740. We'll also take questions from our YouTube live chat room. Uh, the uh, the Mayan calendar uh, and the Mayans. Any any correlation between the Mayan calendar and the Anunnaki? Yes. Uh, yeah, it's a great question. You know, many people were concerned that 2012 was it going to be the end of the world, etc. It just so happens to be the end of a what's called the procession, uh, which is 25,920 years. And this procession basically is a solar procession of time, meaning uh, the Earth's progression um, over 25,920 years um, in relation to the sun's orbit. And so the Mayan calendar 
um, which was almost like a computer. Besides um, keeping time, um, it also advised when to fertilize their crops, um, acted almost as a, 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 a fire, water, air distributor where they would basically be advising the, 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 the people, hey, you know, it's going to be hot, it's going to be cold, it's going to be chilly, it's any time, any climate information. But, but more, more importantly was the procession, the solar procession, and keeping with um, time and, and, and uh, the relationship of Earth to the sun and its orbits. And so uh, this was so far ahead of its time, it only could have been constructed, you know, by the Anunnaki. In my opinion. The, uh, the vast majority of the cuneiforms, the cuneiform tablets, I believe are the, in the London Museum. I mean, they're not for public, eye, for public eyes, correct? Yes, correct. Why do you suppose that is? What's, what's on those cuneiform tablets perhaps they don't want us to know about? Oh, it's, that's just so interesting, Richard. I just think that there's, you know, I didn't used to be this way. I used to be a, a sort of a, 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 a layman just believing what I heard on television and on the news media. And uh, now today, I, a lot of times I don't believe it at all. Um, I just think that the information in the Sumerian tablets uh, is so powerful and so real that if taken word for word would, would basically shake um, foundations of science and religion to a degree. And I think that even though the Sumerian tablets predate religion, I think people's, um, you know, you're, you're, you're a religious Christian. I'm a little bit religious, too. The woman we heard before, religious. I think it would, um, it would I guess, I wouldn't scare them, but it would just basically tell a different story rather than the story we've read from the New Testament or the Old Testament. And um, the word, the plural form of gods, and it says it, you know, on the cover of my book, Adam the Quisalian, then God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. That's what it says in in Genesis. It says that also several other times. So the plural is listed more as a, a, you know, pluralistic deity uh, versus a monotheistic deity. And I grew up believing in one God and only one God. And after reading the, the tablets, it it opened my mind up to um, to to more to several gods with a small g, but several gods um, being our creator. And um, I think I think that this information is uh, is very powerful, and uh, that this information will probably be scoffed as as mythology. But if it's not mythology, and my first chapter in my in book in my book, Adam decoded was myth or mythology and i believe uh that i'm sorry myth or history and i believe that this myth is history all right um if you take extraterrestrial out of the equation and you substitute extraterrestrial for interdimensional let's just leave nibiru aside for a moment it still lines up pretty closely with what the bible is saying because if we're talking about interdimensional, then we're talking about perhaps an angelic realm. And so then casting the, the Nephilim uh, as, um, as the offspring of fallen angels and humans 
it all makes perfect sense. In other words, some might argue, okay, the ancient alien theory is kind of trying to to shoehorn their story into the biblical narrative. Uh, and the only thing that separates the ancient alien theory really from, let's say, the biblical narrative is extraterrestrial versus interdimensional. What are your thoughts on that? That's really interesting. I, you know, I, I think you can... I think you can discuss the Nephilim and the, the angelic, as you mentioned, inter- interdimensional beings. It's very, very interesting what you just said, because I've read several authors that have said the same, that it uh, may, may not be exact you know, corporeal beings from another planet. It may be intergalactic, angelic, as you say, um, beings, or sentient, sentient. Uh, you know, I don't know the, the answer. I think it's really, really interesting. Uh, I, I like what you said about there being a, a, a timeline symmetry, which I agree with. And um, I, I, listen, I, I believe in most everything the Bible does say. There are just some things in it that I think that are a little off and maybe goes against some other paragraphs. And so I, that, that sort of gave, you know, lifted up one eyebrow and said, you know, something's up, something's up, and maybe... And maybe, just maybe, there's more than one author here. And so that's what really got me thinking. All right, let's say hi to Wayne in Scarborough. Wayne, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Yes, good evening, gentlemen. I'd like to ask your guest uh, quickly, these Anunnaki. Okay, how does it fit in? If they're the small G God, what about, as the Aboriginal people believe, as the Bible says, the one supreme creator God? Mm-hmm. Like, where did they come from, and how were they created? Yeah, I believe in the big G, too. Um, I believe in the big sentient architect, master architect of the universe. I do. Um, I don't believe it's human. It, it, it is. I think it's a sentient intelligence master um, architect, but I don't think it's human. Um, I don't know... Anything more than I do know that the Anunnaki believed that there was a big G, uh, too, um, and so did uh, several of the species of, of extraterrestrials that apparently have communicated, you know, with with us, have told us that that there is a master architect um, that that has created the universe, and um, it's more of an an energy, a light, uh, than a human. And so, yes, I do. I I do believe in in the big G. And so, where does it come in? I think it, it's uh, it's the master architect of, uh, of of the extraterrestrial and of us. Okay, thank you. Thanks for the question, Wayne. Uh, Letter Tube—that's his handle, not his given name. I'm assuming Letter Tube on the live chat in uh, on the YouTube channel uh, says that there are thirty thousand Sumerian tablets in one museum, but across the globe there are many, many more, and more still in the ground in Iraq. Mm. Uh, do you believe that there are still uh, uh, scores of these tablets still buried in the sands of Iraq? And was this perhaps the reason that uh, just prior to the uh, the Gulf Wars, uh, beginning in the early 90s, was this the reason that Saddam Hussein had called for a team of German archaeologists uh, they were in Iraq just prior to the war, uh, but it was never disclosed what they were looking for. Is is this perhaps what they were looking for, more of these Sumerian tablets? Or perhaps were they looking for a stargate 
And is that the real reason for the Allied invasion of Iraq? They were also did, looking for that Stargate. Where, where did you hear that information? The the German archaeologists. Yeah, I remember reading. I remember reading that uh, just after the uh, the first Gulf War broke out. That um, that um, Saddam Hussein had summoned a team of German archaeologists to to Iraq. Mm-hmm. I think it's so interesting that you just mentioned that. Very few people know that. I have heard that. Um, I'll get to that in one second. Uh, Sitchin said that there were about 200,000 tablets. And your, your, your listener is correct. 30,000 have been found uh, since, since 1896. Um, as far as the U.S. And going to war with Iraq, I think, yes, I think one of the biggest reasons, besides oil, that we went into Iraq had nothing to do with weapons of mass destruction, had to do with these tablets. And that uh, they were in Baghdad, and uh, apparently a Stargate as well in Iraq. Um, I forgot what city in Iraq, but it was one of the 12 cities that the Anunnaki originally inseminated. And it was interesting because there was a book written recently about a covert uh, secret operation between the U.S. and it may have been Germany going into Iraq and finding something besides tablets, finding they believe to be a Stargate. And it was stopped immediately. Maybe Apparently it was about 30 or 45 days, stopped immediately and surrounded by police, and they were kicked out. And, and, I, and one of the professors from the University of Pennsylvania wrote about this, and I forgot what what town in Iraq it is, I think it's Abtalum or something like that. But yeah, they were kicked out because of this. And I thought that that was just so interesting. Fascinating. Fascinating. So again, uh, leave us with the website, uh, Leon, and where we can purchase Adam Decoded Volume 2 and Adam Equals Alien Volume 1. So you can buy both Adam Equals Alien and Adam Decoded on Amazon. And I also have a website for Adam Equals Alien, www.adamalien.com. Um, but they're, they're both available on Amazon, and I'm working on my third book called uh, Blood Origins, which will complete the trilogy, the Adam series trilogy. And Richard, thank you so much for having me. I love your show, and uh, it's so interesting to me, and I, I appreciate you giving me the time. Well, I want to thank you for hanging out for two hours. People don't maybe realize how difficult it is, particularly at a late hour, uh, to talk almost nonstop for two hours, even about a subject that you love and are passionate about. Uh, and um, it's it's a huge it's a it's a huge tall order. And I thank you for uh, for being so generous with your time, Leon. Thanks, Richard. All right, we are back next week, John Kerner. We'll be here to talk about the JFK Jr. assassination for the full two hours. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing hidden that won't be revealed. And let me start that again. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light, and what I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home, or at least up the stairs. Good night. Thank you.